It is a blessed day to be here together where we can bless the name of the Lord. Amen. It's good to be here for sure. In fact, I have to tell you, I, I noticed this just this morning. I, I, I guess I'd never thought about it before, but oftentimes when I get to the second service, I'm, I'm in a really good mood, like almost always. And the reason I am is because I've been here so long already this morning. And it's just wonderful to be here with all of you. I love coming to church. I love being here with the church family. And so I get here, and as the morning builds, I just get happier and happier. By the time I get to second service, it doesn't matter where, whether Dell is here or not, I'm still going to be happy. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, there's some truth to that, for sure. Yeah. I have so much I could say about Dell. Um, the passage for today is from the book of Galatians, of course. I want you to turn, if you would, in your own Bibles to Galatians chapter 4. I am going to have these verses on the screen as well. And this week, when Paul starts, he starts in the same kind of way uh, that he was kind of finishing last week and, and the things that he was addressing. You remember last week he was talking about being an heir, an heir of Christ an error of God, and yet he talked about how an error not fully realized yet is one who is under the tutelage of someone else. And he's specifically referring to the law. And being under the tutelage of the law was not necessarily a positive thing. And so he says this, what I am saying is that as long as an error is underage, underage, He is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. So indeed, the heir does own the whole estate, but he's not there yet. He's not grown. He doesn't have full rights of sons yet. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. We're going to, there is another reference to the time here coming up in just a moment in this text. Here he says simply that there are guardians and trustees. And at other places, Paul talks about how that guardian and that trustee figuratively is the law. And that the law keeps people in, is meant to keep people in some kind of control. And therefore is a positive thing given to them by God. And so he can put this in terms of guardians and trustees in a a positive light. It's not just a a terrible negative thing all the time. The guardian has a, a positive kind of role in terms of keeping us, hopefully, from sinning not so much. And that's where he starts. But then he gets into verse 3, and I I really, uh, verse 3 is a very interesting verse to me for a couple of different reasons. He says, so also when we were underage, we were in slavery under the basic principles of this world. And I'll just tell you, I don't know what your Bible says at verse 3. There are different translations, obviously. But this phrase, basic principles of this world, is quite interesting. It's actually one word in Greek, just one word. And it can be translated different ways. So basic principles of this world is one way. Another way of talking about this is the elemental spiritual forces. And it it kind of bothers me almost that this one word can be translated as three words in English. Elemental spiritual forces. There's a lot of weight there in elemental spiritual forces. What exactly does that mean? And why is it that these are so different? Well, the word can go in different directions. Now, I'll say I like, actually, this translation, which is in uh, the Bibles that are underneath the seats today, basic principles of this world, because I think out of that, 
we can see Paul actually referring to the law. Elemental spiritual forces sounds to me like something evil. Sounds like those, those principles, spiritual forces of the world that Paul talks about in other places, like in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 or 3 or something like that. And he, he talks then about those spiritual forces. Here it seems to me like maybe he's just referring to the law. Now, I, I only say all of that because this is a little bit of a thorny verse, and your translation may actually say something quite different than what this says. But I think Paul's point is simply that we were still under tutelage to the law. And that seems to be the whole context here of where he's going. So that's one aspect of this verse that's interesting. The other part of this is the, the personal pronoun that he uses. So also, when we were underage, we were in slavery. And I want to ask, who is the we? Because Paul's writing the book of Galatians to largely Gentile Christians who have become Christians and now are tempted to become Jewish. But they wouldn't have experienced their whole lives as those under the law and therefore under the tutelage of the law. They wouldn't have been slaves specifically to the Mosaic law. And so who is he talking about when he says we? Because he's not really writing to Jews. And I think this is probably a self-reference. That when he says we here, he's talking about how we, the Jews, used to do this. Now, he does talk about the Gentiles and actually a kind of set of rules under which they found themselves. If you look down at verses 8, 9 or so just below this, he starts talking about how the, the Gentiles were formerly pagans. And his point there is to say, you know, you, you were actually under slavery to something. You had pagan gods under which you were you were serving as slaves under them, and they did, in fact, control you. And there was a kind of legalism that went along with that as well. So we'll talk some more about that next week. But this is just an interesting verse, some, some little bit thorny things there that, that just kind of wonder where exactly Paul's going with all of this when he talks about we, who, you know, who exactly is that, and then why is it that he makes this reference to the elemental spiritual forces in some of your translations and the basic principles in others? Well, I think all of that gets us into the kind of things that Paul wants to say here and into the next verses, which I regard as actually being really interesting and more the point for today for sure. And so I want you to look at verses 4 and 5, first of all. Um, oh, yeah, by the way, this is just the comment that the older NIV uh, had a different translation than the newer NIV. Um, but Galatians 4, 4 and 5, these, these are wonderful verses, as is the next verse and, and the one after that. But when the set time, he's already talked about the times, had fully come. And so God, I, you know, God lives in eternity. God doesn't live in time the way we do. So what does it mean to, be, to have a set time? He's not thinking in terms of time, but he is thinking in terms of the world being ready. And I think that's what he means. Right when the world was ready, he sends Jesus. God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. That's the context here, this being born under the law. To redeem those under the law. And we've looked at this now for a couple of weeks that we might receive adoption to sonship. Oh, that is wonderful, wonderful language. Language worth getting excited about. You remember last week we were talking about freedom? And I was talking about how God has set us free from sin. He set us free from the law. And with all of that freedom that it's just great news, good news, and we should get excited about the freedom that we have in Christ, the fact that we are just forgiven so wonderfully. 
no longer under any kind of set of rules, but just find ourselves basking in our relationship with God through faith because we believe. And I was, I was trying to say to you, this is great news, folks. We need to be excited about this. Now, I don't know about all of you being excited. I, I have no idea, but I can tell you one person that was, and that's Kaylee McCop. She was sitting just about where she is, maybe a, a one row back last week. And all of a sudden, when I was talking about this, she started clapping. Do you remember that? She clapped a few times, went like this, and then she kind of gave it a little woohoo. Now, the rest of you did nothing. Okay? But Kaylee was excited. And I went to her. We had a potluck last week, of course. So I had a chance to talk to her afterwards. They said, hey, I noticed that, you know, the clapping, the woohoo. There was some, some excitement there about freedom in Christ. And she said, you know, if this was Zimbabwe, which is where she grew up. And she said, I was just, you know, if I was just a part of a black church in Zimbabwe, and you were talking about being free in Christ, they'd be on their feet. Everybody would be clapping and cheering and excited. So I know, like, that's not the Canadian way. But I'm sure that you were experiencing all that joy and excitement on the inside. And the fact is, is that we do have something to be excited about. And this passage is talking about something else to be excited about. This whole notion of being adopted as God's sons and daughters into him is absolutely wonderful. And it is exciting that we had this chance to be God's children the way that we do. Um, some of you know that there is now a, a tradition in our family of adopting. Like, uh, I don't talk about, I, I have told my story, of course, many times, but, but I don't talk as much about the fact that I was adopted. I, I am an adopted child. Um, I didn't lose both my parents. I wasn't an orphan until I was 19. But when I was younger, I did lose my mother. And when dad remarried, uh, some of you had this experience, you know, there's a, a, a worry there. What if, uh, what if all of a sudden dad was to pass away and some nasty relative, whoever that might be, wants to come in and swoop the kids away, they might have more authority than the woman to whom my dad is now married. And so, in order to prevent that, my stepmother, Irene, adopted me. And I can remember very clearly the day standing, I was actually standing in front of a judge and he said to me, basically, do you want her to be your mother? And I said, Yes. And so I was adopted by her and formed immediately, not just the special relationship we already had, but a legal relationship now. Well, Robin and I then adopted. And I loved it. When Megan was a little girl, we always were very open with her about the fact that she was adopted. I, I knew she would be confused because she didn't look exactly like the rest of us. Okay? She, like, she knew something was going on. And so we were very open about the fact that she had been adopted, you know, from the beginning. And I loved being able to say to her, I was adopted too. It was, it was really neat. In fact, I, I've thought about that before. Lord, did you give me that one? Did you give me that so that I could say to Megan, I was adopted too? And now our oldest son, Adam, uh, again, you, you've heard this story, but uh, Adam and Stephanie had a little boy, Easton. And when he was about five, they still hadn't had any other children. And so they thought, well, maybe this isn't going to happen for us. Let's adopt. Seems to have worked once. Let's do it again. So they adopted a little boy into their family who is just about Easton age. They're about four months apart. So Blake is now our grandson as well. And of course, as the story goes, you know what's going to happen next. About three weeks later, Stephanie was pregnant. <laughs> and so within about 
I don't know what it was, 11 months, 12 months, they, had, they went from having one little boy to three little boys, just like that. And so this has become something precious to us. And so Adam and Stephanie, it's very common for them to participate in activities, uh, you know, social events that are advocacies or advocates for, uh, for adoption and for foster children. And so the boys, all three of them will frequently have a, like a lemonade stand, you know, uh, at some, like at Walmart or something. Or they will do a fun run, at, you know, or a walk and they get sponsors and all that kind of Pappas and Grammy are always shelling out money now, you know, for the adoption thing. So we're always giving, sending money to Arkansas for the little kids who are raising money for adoptions and foster kids. And it's wonderful. It's such a blessing. And what's so cool, of course, is that all these relationships, whether it's me and my family or Megan and our family or Blake and Adam and Stephanie's family and now in my family, it is so wonderful to think about taking these kids who didn't have families and bring them into families. You know, Scripture says that that's what God does. God sets the lonely in families. Well, he's not setting them in their own family. They already had that. He's setting them in new families. And that's what he does. He takes us and he sets us into a new family. And it's his family. You know, God created, I think, all those little kids out there who are in foster care or who are orphans in need of adoption, all those little kids want to be in a family. I can't imagine one of them is going, yeah, no, I'm, I'm six. I just want to be on my own. None of them. They all want to be with somebody. Ask them, do you want a mommy and a daddy? Oh, it's my dream. And of course, the kids that don't get adopted. You know, when, um, when Blake was adopted, there were 25 other families. And I, I know this language sounds horrible, but it, this, is just, this is the way the system works in Arkansas. Um, these parents would go in and observe all these children, and they would basically bid for these kids. Not with money or anything, but they would just say, oh, I, you know, we would like this child. And there were 25 families that put a bid on Blake. And Adam and Stephanie ended up getting him. But there are so many kids, I think, who never get a bid. Nobody ever says, yeah, I'd like that one. And so those children stay without a family. God took us when we had no chance of being chosen. And he picked us. And he put us in family. His family. Because he loves us. He adopted us as his sons. And that is worth being excited about. Can you imagine what it's like to be the little kid who gets chosen? I, 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 I didn't show it today because it's, it's not really complete. It doesn't really work the way I would want it to. But there's a video of Blake um, sitting with his brother Easton talking about what it was like to be put in Adam and Stephanie's family. And they were, they were actually doing the video. It played on uh, some TV program or you know, an ad or whatever in the Little Rock, Arkansas, uh, as they were discussing adoptions and foster care. And they played this video of, of Blake, Blake explaining what it was like for him to be a part of the, this family now. And he was excited. He's still excited, of course. 
And it's just, it's just something that we need to think deeper about. The fact that we've been adopted as God's children and become part of this family. That's worth getting excited about. That's worth maybe giving it a woohoo and a, and a clap. If, if you were six years old and somebody came in and said you've been adopted, what would you think you'd do? Probably cry. Well, in many ways, it gets even better. Because you're his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you were his child, God has made you also an heir. And I want to say fully an heir. Because not, you're not the little kid who's under somebody else's tutelage. But instead, you have all the rights, all the fullness of being an heir has come to you. And then maybe the very best thing of all that you have received is the privilege, the blessing of being able to say to God, Abba. This is a special word. A word of endearment, of affection, where a child says to the father whom he or she loves, Abba, Daddy, with closeness and affection. It's a perfect word for us to be talking about today. Because the relationship between a mother and her children is about as precious and sacred and full as any relationship is, there is in life. It is such a wonderful thing to talk about that relationship and to, to just think about and, and dwell on the beauty of that relationship. And God says that it's like that, that we have a relationship with him when his spirit is poured out into us. And the closeness and oneness that we feel with God causes us to cry out, the Bible says, Abba, with all affection and closeness and vulnerability. And so it might be that for us Canadians... It's a little bit difficult sometimes to express ourselves. It's just the way we are. But God has nonetheless created this special relationship for us to enjoy. And I pray, I want so badly for us all to enjoy this special relationship. You know, um, remember this? That wasn't very long ago that we had this the big version of this up on the wall. And that was all about connecting with God. It was all about prayer and, and fasting and sharing our hearts with the Lord. Time spent in his word as the spirit speaks to us. And then we listen to what God has to say, whether it's in prayer or in Bible study. And that's the kind of, of closeness and relationship that God longs for us to have with him. You know, there are only three times in the New Testament when this word Abba is used this way, talking specifically about this relationship that we have with God and the closeness that we have. Paul uses it twice. He does it here in Galatians 4, 6. He also does it in Romans eight fifteen, which is a, a, almost an identical kind of passage, very close to this, very parallel, talking about how the Spirit's poured out into our hearts and we can cry out, Abba. But there's one other place. It's in the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus 
is with some disciples who can't stay awake. And he's about to be crucified. And at one point, the text says in Mark 14, 36, that he fell on his knees. And you know he falls in anguish and says, Abba, Father. The closeness in this word is remarkable. As Jesus himself, one with his Father, calls out at his darkest, deepest, challenging moment and cries, Daddy. Well, there are times when we cry it with joy. Abba, Father, when the Spirit's poured out into us. And there are times when maybe we say it on our knees at the most challenging times and say, Abba. But either way, God longs for us to be connecting with Him in a close, life-defining kind of relationship. And I just pray that you'll think maybe in the coming week, and maybe even today when you're reflecting on mothers and Mother's Day, about the intimacy that God calls us to and allows us when He calls us to this special relationship with Him. We are adopted as sons and daughters of God, able to call Him Daddy in a special relationship. There's nobody who enjoys that relationship but those who've come to Jesus, who sends His Spirit and makes that relationship possible. Let's pray. Lord, this is great news that you've given to us. I'm looking at a bunch of children of yours today. And I'm experiencing what it means to be a child of yours today. We together, bonded in this one family, being called sons and daughters of God. Thank you for giving us that rich blessing and privilege as you pour your spirit into us and unite us together with you. Help us, Father, not to to just let that go lightly. Help us to rejoice. Help us to bask in this beautiful relationship we share together with you. Thank you through Jesus that it's all possible. Amen.